be here, Paul. Thank you, Paul, for the kind introduction. And John, do you know what how Siri pronounces your name? John Lubell. Yeah, Lubell. Maybe <laughs> maybe it is pronounced Lubell, John, not Lubell. Anyway, John, it's lovely to see your face here tonight, Professor John Lubell, and Will Kemp, likewise, lovely to see you tonight. And we're talking about a really interesting food and beverage and health product, which is coffee. Health product, do you think? I, I do think. I think it's a one of the big health lifestyle interventions out there is coffee. Um, I When I initially started looking at the literature a few years ago, because it became relevant, I think, medically with liver disease, I personally was just dumbfounded by the strength of the potential benefits of the product, you know, of the, of the food. Mm. Do you drink it for its health benefits or because you actually just really enjoy it? I drink it because I really enjoy it, but I also really enjoy it because I know it's doing, it's been good for me metabolically. Yeah. So a lot of other things I do, I know are bad for me, but I still do them. Right. It's one of those wonderful paradoxes of coffee is that it's actually incredibly pleasurable and good for you. But it's also addictive. Well, it may be addictive. Certainly you get withdrawal if you stop taking it and you're habituated to it. So, you know, there are some people who who have to keep on taking it because if they don't keep on taking it, they get headaches, nausea, flu-like symptoms. So it is an interesting drug, actually, isn't it? Yeah, it's an interesting drug. It's a great drug. And the addiction thing, John, maybe it doesn't matter. If you're addicted to something that is prolonging your life and helping your health, how's that a negative? Um yeah, there are, there are, we can talk about toxicities later on, but um, let's, let's talk about what, what we're actually talking about, first of all, because you, you introduced the conversation talking about coffee. Um, and when we talk about a drug, say, for example, aspirin or paracetamol, we're talking about a pure chemical, which is encapsulated or in tablet form. But we're talking now about a, a substance which contains maybe thousands of natural occurring chemicals. And some of those chemicals have psychoactive properties so they actually um, can stimulate you they can increase your awareness john john what's a psychoactive chemical what does that mean it means that it has effect upon your mind your thought processes um, your nervous system um, in fact m- more generally these chemicals they're produced by plants they're they're also called phytochemicals um, and often that's used in a, in a negative way but the actual constituents of coffee, there is a list which is so complicated and so long. Um, and probably the one that most people know is caffeine. And caffeine really constitutes about 1% or 2% of coffee. And that has probably gained most of the attention and has most of the observable side effects when you drink too much coffee. Um, but it also has maybe some benefits as well, um, which we can discuss. So... So coffee, John, just to clarify, coffee and caffeine, they're different words, because sometimes people do sort of use them interchangeably, I think. Um, So caffeine makes up a tiny amount of coffee, and it's the stimulant chemical, or the main stimulant chemical within a cup of coffee. Absolutely. And and actually, you can can manufacture caffeine in a lab, and that can be added to to beverages, and you'll see on the supermarket shelves lots of beverages that contain caffeine that's artificial caffeine and there are naturally produced caffeines from plants including coffee but also to a lesser extent 
tea and other other bush teas and shrubs. So so caffeine is a natural phytochemical. It's a natural chemical produced by plants, but also artificially introduced. Do you think the the caffeine in those other drinks, the sort of chemically synthesized caffeine, carries with it some of the health benefits that we're going to talk about with coffee? Well, it's not absolutely clear whether it's caffeine alone that has all the benefits because there have been some studies, for example, that have looked at decaffeinated coffee and you shown some benefit. Coffee, John. You said caffeine oh. that has all the benefits. Well, sorry. It's, no, no, it's, I meant caffeine. So so it's not... The assumption is, is that it's caffeine that may be causing some benefit in your, in, your, in your question. But actually, if you have decaffeinated coffee, there's no caffeine in it. There is some benefits. So, so the benefit is is from something else in coffee, not just caffeine. Yeah. So but there's no there's no doubt that chemicals or some <coughs> other absolutely. substance oils absolutely. and so forth that might carry a benefit. Yeah. <coughs> and there's data, of course, will that caffeinated soft drinks don't have any health benefits. They're health detrimental. Yeah. So I think there's no doubt that caffeine added to other foods is it's bad for your health yeah. generally. Uh, if, if it's added to artificially processed foods, so caffeine might be responsible for some of those withdrawal symptoms or maybe even the addictive quality but not carrying with it the health benefits absolutely yeah. Yeah, absolutely um, do do any of you know where caffeine actually attaches itself in the human body how, how it actually what, what receptor it attaches to well, I know a receptor the adenosine receptor is sort of in there somewhere yeah, is that the one you're thinking of yeah it is and actually um, adenosine is a, is a drug we use in medicine and actually, we use it to block the heart. So we actually use it to stop the heart when, when the heart goes into a funny rhythm. And and that explains why when you have caffeine, it, it blocks it and you can actually get a racing heart. Um, so one of the side effects of caffeine, racing heart, and uh, hyper-awareness, um, actually increased vigilance. It's actually been used for centuries for, for those um, qualities. Interesting. Where's it from? The the coffee plant. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you know the story? Do you know the story about the Ethiopian farmer? I know nothing about the Ethiopian farmer, but I mean, it's it's widely thought that coffee originated in Ethiopia. I think that's, that's right. Sort of accepted. That's right. Well, there is there is folklore in Ethiopia about a a, a goat herder called Yaldi, and Yaldi had a flock of goats and he used to call them with his his whistle every evening and they would follow him and then one day they they didn't come to him and he he found them eventually all grazing on the bush of this wild coffee plant growing in the mountains of ethiopia because coffee has to grow at a certain altitude and the and the goats were really agitated and excited and playful and he he took a mouthful of these berries and found actually he started to feel very excited and and really energized by it Um, and that's you know, the story about how coffee was originally found. Um, and then he took it back to his village and they, they started to harvest it. And apparently at one point someone threw the, the beans into the fire and noticed it smelled really good and ground it up and made tea. And in fact, that's how they make tea in Ethiopia to this day. They take the berries, they, they remove the, the fruit, the cherry it's called. They remove the fruit and they, they actually slowly cook the beans. Um, and that, that gives it the roasted flavour that we have. That's how they make coffee. You said tea, John. They can make you can make a tea out tea of, out of the leaves. You can make a tea. You can make a tea out of the of the cherries, 
And in fact, it's quite trendy around the world to, to use the husk because actually it's a waste product. So, so now coffee is made everywhere, but people are starting to use the, the cherry, the wasted husk as a tea, um, and actually brew it in water. And I think it does have some of the, some of the chemicals and some of the, the caffeine in it as well. And I think they started the trade routes originally from Ethiopia across to Yemen. And the first port in Yemen was called Mocha. And yeah. that's where Mocha yeah. coffee comes from. May, yeah, maybe. maybe. I, yeah, I, okay. think there's, I think there's some contention oh, about it. it. Right. Um, okay. But clearly it's been around for many hundreds of years and and. And it, it really went through Europe like wildfire as well, and all the all the um, countries that have colonial influences started to import and export it. And um, I think the Turkish were were very prominent in the the development of coffee and really guarded the plant very very sacredly because they didn't want other people to be able to cultivate it and and make coffee. It's interesting how coffee has percolated into all these different continents and countries. I mean, it, it's you know, in, in Africa, where it began, but in Asia, in the Middle East, Europe, Western societies, I mean, it is a global commodity. But it's also interesting how it's diff- it's made differently. So if you go to Turkey and you have a coffee, it is, it is coffee ground up and boiled in water and then drank in a cup, which is allowed to settle with a almost a mud at mm. the bottom... And, and that will have different chemicals in it compared to a cafetiere or a French press coffee, which will be different to an espresso, which will be different from an Americano. So, so actually, the way it's brewed, produced, pressed, um, actually put into a cup is different around the world. And, and I think that, that that's the slight problem I have about this drug, is that when I give aspirin or paracetamol, I write a dose, it's the same all around the world. And we talked about this before about other, other podcasts. But with coffee, we're talking about very different things. We're talking about people who have instant coffee, people who have decaffeinated coffee, people who have it prepared where there's very high levels of caffeine and other chemicals and, and not, not so much of others. Um, and that makes it very hard for us to, to look at any trial in isolation unless we truly understand how, how this coffee is prepared in that study, for example. So actually, there are two different species, main species of coffee, one is the Arabica, which you often see in the shops. There's also the Robusta. Um, I don't know if you know, Paul, but have you heard ever of Kopi Luwak? It's one of the re- most expensive coffees you can buy. Have you ever heard of it? No. It, oh, maybe, maybe I have. Is, oh, this, is it the poo that comes out? Oh, yes, you yeah, have. Right, okay, so right, this okay. is an Indonesian coffee, and it's made from the coffee beans that are plucked from the civets feces. And actually, apparently, that imparts a really interesting and complex flavour to the coffee beans. Earthy, I'd say. Uh, quite earthy. But probably quite good for the microbiome of humans as well. John and Paul, we should remember that the amount of caffeine in coffee can vary quite considerably. In something like an espresso, it might be between 60 and 80 milligrams of caffeine um, in an espresso coffee. Whereas in a, you know, it can be double that in a, say, an Americano coffee or a long black. Um, so different coffees, different volumes have different concentrations of caffeine. I mean, a hot, for example, a hot chocolate probably has, say, five milligrams of caffeine, so compared to sort of the 60 to 80 milligrams in an espresso. And in some of the energy drinks that are entering the market now, 
the energy drink may contain 200 milligrams of caffeine, so the equivalent of three or four coffees. And because of the way they're formulated, they're made to be drunk quickly. So it's, it's quite interesting. Do, do you think we should be putting caffeine to one side and then just be talking about coffee and caffeine as a minor constituent of coffee? Because there are so many now caffeinated beverages and, there, and I don't think there is a lot of evidence that there's much health benefit in caffeine in itself. So we should probably focus more on, on the mixture of coffee, wherever it is produced and whatever it might contain, um, and talk about its health benefits. Paul, what's your, your view about the, the global health benefits of coffee? Okay, I might just go back first, John, to your, your comment about concerns about variation in preparation in different cultures around the world. I think we all observe that. It's great travelling because there's different ways to drink your coffee. But in all of them, really, beans are roasted and there's hot water run over them and then you drink the the water from the beans. So I, I yes, there probably is variation in all sorts of chemicals in, depending on the way it's prepared, but probably the basic preparation is the same. And I, I, I doubt there's a great difference in the way your body responds to an espresso compared to a cafe latte or a magic or a macchiato or a Turkish coffee probably is the same. It, 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 the real complaint is about comparison in studies where you have, and spe- especially a study which looks at dose response, so it looks at um, a dose, say a population study, which looks at the effect of one cup of coffee mm. compared to two cups or three or four, when another study will be, will be looking at um, a, a different way of making coffee. And the classic comes up, actually, in the... Um, I'm not sure if you're, you're, either of you are aware of it, but there was a Tromso heart study, and it was done in 1981, and it was one of the first studies that showed that there was an elevated cholesterol associated with drinking coffee. And it was, it was reasonably significant. In fact, um, when they looked at the, the, uh, the cardiovascular risk, or heart attack risk, if you like, um, of the coffee, it was it was up to 11% increased risk in people who are drinking coffee compared to not drinking coffee. And then later, a study um, which was in, a few years later looked at it, and actually the way the coffee is made, whether it is filtered um, or whether it is, is made in a different way, um, ha- has an influence on cholesterol. So that was a perfect example, because in Scandinavia, um, where actually the highest consumption of coffee per capita is, they, they make coffee... Um, in a similar way to the Turkish, they, they steep it in boiling water and they, 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 they don't filter it. Whereas filtering clearly had a different uh, effect on, on some of the chemicals which um, can cause increased cholesterol. And, and the actual chemical has been identified, it's cafestol. And cafestol um, appears to, to be filtered out more in filtered coffee than it does if you just boil the coffee in, in some grounds. And it's one of the oils in coffee... Um so you filter out those oils in filtered coffee. In fact, but it's one of the things that you really like to see, I guess, when you have your espresso coffee, um, is those oils that you can you can sort of see in the coffee. Um, I did see that in one of the studies, you know, trying to gauge that because that seems to be a real effect that if you keep the oils in the coffee, that that actually does change the way your liver deals with cholesterol and can and your cholesterol can increase, but the magnitude of that increase. Is not big. Um, there was a study which looked at trying to measure how much cholesterol increased, and five cups of coffee a day for five weeks increased the cholesterol by around about six to eight percent. 
So not not a huge amount, but I guess in in a situation where someone already has some cholesterol issues, then you know maybe that's you know a, a factor that they they need to work in their favour, not against them. So I mean it is relevant. So there probably is some sort of health differences with the different preparations. That seemed to be the main one though is is influence of cholesterol. A lot of the other health benefits actually seem to be remarkably similar regardless of what people drink. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's the only one I, 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 I'm aware of where it was a measurable difference between the preparation. So, I, I mean, I think that notwithstanding that difference, um, a lot of the studies um, are actually observational studies. That's where a group of large number of people have been watched and they, they, they look for outcomes like diseases and they look for differences in people who've reported a certain amount of coffee consumption compared with uh, another volume of, of coffee consumption but you know they, they are many of the cases are observational studies they're not they're, they're, some of them are large population studies but they are not interventional they're not really is there any randomized studies of well there, there are some are there, there where are. you've literally given people coffee machines and pods and said you go drink this much and you have none yeah I mean, well it, they have there have been one in if you're a disease. coffee drinker who's going to put their hand up for a, a placebo Oh, I know, I know, but I mean, there have been studies where six sort of people would do such a thing. <laughs> there have been people who have had decaffeinated. You know, you can have a decaffeinated yeah. option. Um, so, but that again is is just taking the caffeine out. Well, although it probably is taking out some of the other chemicals as well. Yeah. Um, but th- there have been some randomised studies in liver disease, looking at liver tests and showing that the liver tests, which measure the function of your liver can improve in patients who are taking coffee over a short period, a 6 to 12-week period, um, compared to those who, who were not taking coffee or were given placebo. So, so there, there is certainly some, some good evidence that there is some health benefits in liver disease. Um, there's some evidence in liver cancer um, as well, that there may be some benefits in protecting um, people who are at risk of liver cancer from developing that disease. Do you use that clinically or paul i mean do you someone does have liver disease whether it be alcohol liver disease or a viral hepatitis is it is it something that you actually encourage people to take do you buy into this that it reduces the risk of scarring of the liver or reduces cancer risk yeah absolutely like i think the the really hard end point data we have with the studies is from just as john was saying observational studies or case control studies um you know it's never going to be possible to design a proper randomized controlled trial where people have coffee or no coffee for years before something terrible happens to their liver but the data we do have i think is is very very compelling that it reduces improves your liver health um, especially if you've got serious liver disease if you drink too much if you've got fatty liver disease if you've got hepatitis b or c I think the data is really good that coffee is better than no coffee and probably more coffee is better than less coffee. Yeah, so if we accept that coffee is good, so how much should people drink? My, look, my, my interpretation of the data is that there's a, a real, an increasing benefit up to about four or six cups a day and after that there's just inadequate data is my interpretation of it. So what should people drink? They should drink enough that they like it, really. That might be one or two coffees a day. It might be two or three. Um, And the comment that John made earlier is really important, that it appears that the health benefits are the same with decaffeinated coffee as caffeinated coffee. 
So some people do feel a bit funny after too much coffee, meaning they've had too much caffeine, and decaffeinated coffee then gives them the health benefits without the caffeine side effects. Now, we said we weren't going to go back and talk about caffeine again, but I'm going to take us back. It's okay, Will, and okay, John, back to caffeine. Let's do it. Um, And I'm going to take us back to energy drinks. And there's a big market out there now, not just for coffee, but for caffeinated drinks. And this is not, not, you know, Coke and Pepsi. These are these new generation energy drinks which are aimed at, you know, kids, young adults, and they are full of a variety of chemicals, one of them being caffeine. And the, as you said before, Will, the dose of caffeine in an espresso is about 60 milligrams, and the dose of caffeine in an energy drink is 150 150, milligrams, 200 milligrams. And most coffee drinkers are having two or three or four, maybe five cups a day, so that's, you know, five times 60 is 300 milligrams of caffeine if they're having espressos. But there's plenty of kids out there having two or three or four any drink per day, which is um, a thousand milligrams, or up to a thousand milligrams of caffeine, and that that does have negative health consequences. So these, this high dose of caffeine in young adults is resulting in multiple presentations to emergency departments with physical side effects from too much caffeine, so headache, nausea, racing heart rate, anxiety. So it's it's really important that coffee is a really benign therapy in medicine and food but caffeine not so yeah i mean i think we really have to distinguish between the caffeine from energy drinks and the caffeine component of coffee Um, as you said there's lots of caffeine it's high concentrations in the energy drinks they also contain lots of sugar for example a can of monster energy drinks about 14 teaspoons of sugar Um, some of them have uh, low volume, high concentration of caffeine, so they're made to be drunk very quickly, which means you can achieve the high doses very quickly. You're not going to, most people are not going to drink three or four coffees over five minutes, but that does happen with energy drinks. Um, and obviously, the marketing is very much aimed at a young audience. Um, I generally think, you know, in my mind and from what I've read, that you know, recommended doses of caffeine should be less than 400 milligrams a day, roughly speaking, for an adult. Um, so two energy drinks, two to three, would certainly put you into unsafe levels. But in some people who consume high amounts of caffeine, it may have very deleterious, particularly cardiovascular effects, I think. But also there's, there's different metabolizers. So this, this drug is metabolized, or caffeine is metabolized in, in the liver and various interactions with other drugs can occur and there are some people who genetically don't break down caffeine as fast as others so so presumably for some people it's even more toxic and i I think you know the oral contraceptive pill i think it delays the metabolism of caffeine by 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 two by a factor of two so it doubles the the time it takes to metabolize the drug yeah no i'm sure that's right there is variation amongst individuals i'm looking back at um some of the data from the US um, over a four-year period in from 2009 to 2013, there were an estimated 43 metal, uh, mortalities, so deaths related to energy drink. Um, so, I mean, that is concerning. What I think looking at um, the adverse 
effects that can occur with energy drinks. I think there are some people who specifically should avoid these sort of high caffeine loads. So we know that it, um, these energy drinks and caffeine in particular can prolong some of the electrical um, pathways in the heart. So if you already have a pre-existing electrical abnormality in the heart, then consuming large doses of caffeine can have a deleterious effect and, and should be avoided. But getting back to coffee though, Will, we're, we're, we're talking about coffee. Coffee, toxicity and poisoning and death have been reported but compared to what you've just been talking about in the in the beverage industry, it's minimal. I mean, it's it's tiny, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is. I mean, the deaths are clearly concerning. I don't know how many um, patients present to emergency departments from energy drinks. Have you seen data, Paul? There's a there's American data I've seen published that's a decade old that reported about twenty thousand emergency department presentations annually from energy drink. Induced caffeine, you know, side effects. It's massive. That's, it's that's, enormous. It so there'll be sort of panic attack symptoms, you know, sweating, palpitations in particular, that sort of thing I'm imagining. Yeah, that's a concern. I might, I might just drag the conversation back to coffee and I just want to highlight a, a really old paper that I read and this is one of the first papers that talked about coffee and health. Um, and this was a Scandinavian study that looked at a liver function test, so a specific blood test that we look for in liver function test, the thing called GGT. And even back in the 70s, it was recognised that this enzyme was associated with heart disease. So the higher this enzyme, the more likely you were to have heart disease. And we now know that the that relationship between GGT and heart disease is not the fact that your liver's sick, but there's this unifying process going on in the background called insulin resistance, which is your body making too much insulin and insulin is causing all sorts of deleterious effects, not just to your liver but to your brain, your heart, potentially precipitating cancer, causing diabetes, kidney disease, liver disease, etc. And the 50-year-old study, what it found for the first time was that um, coffee drinkers, coffee was a lifestyle fact that lowered GGT. And that, that study and... Um, other scientific studies to define that relationship are really, really very important, I think, because they tell us not only that coffee protects our liver from all sorts of injury, at least to a degree from all sorts of injury, but that coffee seems to have body-wide or systemic effects that lowers our risk of other nasty things happening to us. And I think John or Will... Uh, there was a paper in the New England Journal of Medicine, one of those sort of famous medical journals, that talked about relationships between coffee and other non-liver-related diseases. Can you, any of yeah. you remember the data from that paper? Yeah, absolutely. So the New England paper was published, I think, a number of years ago, but it, it collected data on cause of death on over 5 million people and related those causes of death back to coffee. And what they found is an inverse relationship between the amount of coffee people drink and certain causes of death. So the more coffee people drank, the less likely they were to die of things like heart disease, respiratory disease, stroke, injuries, accidents, diabetes, infections. Um, um, and, and I guess one of the sort of interesting findings is that you know, there was a benefit to just drinking one cuppy, co- cup of coffee versus no cups of coffee, but the more cups of coffee you drank, 
the more benefit you achieved. So I think really interesting data. And maybe that ties in with what you were saying. A lot of those causes of death like stroke, diabetes, infection, heart disease are diseases that we associate with diseases of insulin resistance. So maybe that's the unifying factor. I don't, I don't know. And John, the fatty liver disease is the commonest liver disease out there. Just maybe briefly summarise for us the coffee fatty liver disease data, or will. Do you know that data really well? There is quite a lot of evidence, actually, Paul. There are are individual studies, but also um, people have attempted to put those studies together in what's called meta-analyses. And certainly there seems to be benefit with coffee in terms of the degree of scarring of the liver. We call that liver fibrosis. There's evidence that reduces fat within the liver. And more importantly... There is evidence in some big epidemiological studies, which are studies in populations, that there is an improvement in outcome and reduction in death. So, so actually there is good data for fatty liver disease and the benefits of coffee. So there's not many lifestyle interventions that stop you dying or reduce your risk of dying, I guess, in a sort of follow-up period of a study, meaning that is, that is the ultimate endpoint. That is a reduction hard, in death. hard endpoint. Um, so, so, yeah, it's pretty compelling. And what about harm? Like, is there any, you know, side effects? Does it matter if you have one coffee or six coffees a day? Does it? Is there any theoretical concern? You mentioned earlier, John, cholesterol, and there probably is a slight negative effect on cholesterol in people who aren't having filtered coffee. But what about other but interestingly, side effects? Interesting thing about the cholesterol, though, is despite the increase in cholesterol and the proposed potential disadvantage, the studies haven't been born to show that there is a worse cardiovascular or heart attack stroke outcome so so even the opposite that's right so the studies seem to show that in addition to the benefits of the liver the coffee may have additional benefits in the cardiovascular system heart disease stroke even blood pressure and and it gets back to the composition of coffee There, there are thousands of molecules and chemicals within this substance Yes, some might raise numbers, for example, your cholesterol, but there may be others that are having a benefit and preventing the the common endpoint, which could be cardiovascular or heart attack or stroke death, but actually improving the outcome, whereas the cholesterol might be raised slightly, but not to, to such a degree. So, so I think it is a complex, structured compound. It's not just a simple case of giving aspirin or paracetamol. Coffee is a very complex drug. So just to summarise, I guess, again, theoretical negatives, and there's not many with coffee. You really have to dig deep to find a negative. Um, Let's see. It raises your cholesterol a little bit, and maybe if you've got high cholesterol and or heart disease, you should check to your doctor. I know it increases the body's excretion of calcium in your urine, and that can be a risk factor for bone thinning. And again, if you've got osteoporosis, chat to your osteoporosis healthcare provider it's interesting that if it increases calcium in the urine you might expect it would increase kidney stones yeah but it doesn't it actually the data seems to suggest it decreases the amount of kidney stones which may be related to um you know a diuresis effect which is small and modest but is probably real and there are recommendations for for reduced caffeine intake in pregnant women um, because there is uh, increased potential toxicity uh, for the fetus as well. Because actually, 
the fetus is is incapable of metabolizing caffeine until about six months of age. So so actually the half-life, half-life means how long the drug stays in your body before half the quantity that you have in your blood did, is reduced. Um, that actually, they, they have a very, very long half-life. So, so again, in pregnant women then, again, speak to your obstetrician, I guess, to get advice. Any other, are there any other theoretical negatives? Well, I think, I mean, it might put your blood pressure up a little bit. Um, although that, that, that's generally if you've not been on coffee and then you start coffee, but that yeah. effect is if you're habitually taking coffee, actually it seems to be neutralised. So yeah. even even the blood pressure story is not yeah. it's not strong. I think there are some people with electrical disorders of the heart that you know should avoid caffeine, or again, obviously at least discuss it with your with your doctor as to whether it's it's safe and and how much is safe. But that's probably a small number of people, but important nonetheless but it's it really is pretty close to a panacea like we're digging deep yeah. to find these concerns and the, the biggest problems are when i don't have enough is the honest answer <laughs> and that's mm. you know a headache and i start to feel unwell and and sweaty so. although if you have too much coffee you can get rambling flow of thoughts um paul have you ha- how many cups have you had today i've had one but it appears like one <laughs> of us here has had more than one i've had four today so maybe i'm in the rambling flow of thought stage so do you think we're better? I mean, we talked before that you know maybe decaf has the same health benefits. So in that setting, if it's got the same health benefits and perhaps less of the withdrawal symptoms, because the withdrawal is from the caffeine, I think. Would you say, John? Yeah, then uh, it, it, it's the withdrawal withdrawal of caffeine. Should we just try and transition ourselves to decaf? I, I actually like the idea of coffee because it is quite a natural product. It is made from the beans inside the cherry of a plant, a fruit. It's roasted, it's ground, and then not much is either added to it, except maybe a little bit of milk or maybe a little bit of sugar um, at the discretion of the the partaker. But decaffeinated coffee, I have a slight problem because it's it's quite a manufactured process, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, and I'd never really thought about how they got the caffeine out of the coffee until I read about it just doing some research for this for our chat. But it it's slightly scary. Like um I go I agree with you, John. It, it, you go from this sort of beautiful food made by Mother Nature to, you know, something that is really going through quite a complicated chemical process to extract the caffeine. So the caffeine's water soluble, so they can soak the bean and with that the caffeine comes out of it. But also so do a lot of the other theoretical good chemicals come out of the coffee bean. And then removing the caffeine from the this coffee um, aqueous solution, this coffee water solution, it was, it holds, involves a whole lot of nasty chemicals. Yeah. So I'm reassured by the fact that the data sort of suggests that decaffeinated coffee is as good for you as caffeinated coffee, but I don't, I don't like reading about the complicated chemical process uh, to extract the caffeine. Yeah, the thought of having exposure to solvents like ethyl acetate and methylene chloride, I find it a little bit scary compared to a berry that grows on a tree that's roasted for a little bit. It just It's a very different concept to me. Um, just summarising our earlier data, we've said that coffee reduces liver fat, it reduces liver scarring, it reduces death from liver disease, it reduces liver cancer. And they 
the magnitude of those reductions is variable. But let's just say to simplify it, Will or John, if you have two or three coffees a day, your risk of those endpoints is reduced by, say, 30%. Pretty reasonable, you know, real reductions in these important endpoints. Is there... What medicine have we got, Will or John, that does that? Is there a comparator that you can prescribe and the patient go up, pick up, you know, a similar chemical from the pharmacy? Is there a Western medicine-involved medication that does that? Actually, the hard endpoint of, of death is, is a very difficult thing to um, compete with, <laughs> with those sort of figures. But there are drugs that help you lose weight. So, for example, in, in people who've got fatty liver disease, there are drugs which assist with weight loss, which improve the degree of fat within the liver and improve outcome. Uh, but they're very expensive, and they have to be administered by injection generally, uh, some of them daily, some of them weekly. So they're not really comparable to, to buying yourself a coffee off you. Um, so I, I think... Um, in terms of lifestyle intervention, and we're including coffee consumption as a lifestyle measure, the only other lifestyle measure is really increased physical activity, exercise, and also reduction in weights. Um, and the magnitude effect on mortality, A, it takes years, um, but they, I, I'm not absolutely sure how they compare in, in magnitude of effect. You know, Will. No, I, I mean, I think it's difficult to be certain, to be honest, in, in an individual patient. But, I mean, I take your point. The The data is overwhelming of benefit. Um, none of the... Th coffee's not a panacea for these problems, um, but it can be a very effective um, additional therapy to recommend to patients. And I find I do recommend coffee intake to a lot of my patients that have liver disease along with maintaining a healthy weight, along with alcohol reduction, along with physical activity. Uh, but caffeine's right up there. I mean, it's, it's near the top of the list, so it often gets a mention. Coffee or caffeine? Coffee. <laughs> but if, if coffee was a tablet, it would be the biggest tablet in liver medicine in the world, I think without a doubt. By size? By Great effect. Big biscuit. Yeah. And therefore, by prescription, if you could pre prescribe a tablet that did the same thing, all of our patients would be on it for almost everything. Yep. You know, and I think the fact that it costs you 50 cents or a dollar a cup if you make it at home, it tastes nice, it makes you feel good, and it lowers your risk of heart disease and stroke and all sorts of other nasty things, death from infections, lung disease. It is, it is a fantastic medicine. Well, gentlemen, I think we've reached rare agreement at the end of the of the episode is it time for a coffee now done <laughs> alright thanks for listening thanks for tuning in to this episode of the liver health pod we hope you found it interesting and entertaining but remember while we are doctors we are not your doctor you are unique and you deserve personalised medical advice which is essential for making informed decisions about your health and well-being because the information presented in this podcast is general in nature, it may not be relevant to your circumstances. It is not a substitute for professional advice from your healthcare professional. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the organisations we work for. In fact, those organisations don't even know that we've made this podcast. So if you've enjoyed listening, don't forget to subscribe. You can also leave a review and a rating which will help others find us. Thanks for listening. Till next time.